Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Direct Xbox number 11. It's the final Direct Xbox of 2023. Feels good finishing up the year going into 2024. I think it's going to be an exciting year for pretty much all platforms, but definitely Microsoft setting themselves up. And in fact, we had a bit of an announcement for this show, specifically Direct Xbox on the Spawncast Network. Nate, it's going to be uh, what's I guess our kind of our New Year's resolution. Why don't you tell the good people what what plans are starting with the very next episode coming up in a couple of weeks? Yes, moving into 2024, we are going to be shifting formats to a live direct Xbox show. So no more pre-recorded podcasts going forward. It will be a live show on a scheduled date and time where we will be able to directly interact with the viewing audience. And then we will be able to do a live show for our patron members immediately following a live direct Xbox show so we can answer questions and get the thoughts of the community on the topics that we just discussed in the episode that aired prior. So a very exciting change for the show as we are able to better communicate and engage with our patron community and the viewing community in general. Yeah, I think, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, again, we have a I think a lot of stuff coming up in 2024. So we'll, I think, get quite a few opportunities when it comes to games coming up, coverage. And I figured, you know what? We might as well take it to the next level, live stream. And we'll, we will have, of course, the show staying up on the on the YouTube account so people can watch it back. And I will get the audio version and drop that on podcast services as well as uh, Patreon and stuff so people can follow it there. So that way, if you if you enjoy listening to it on iTunes or wherever, you can you can continue doing just that. But if you want to come by for the live show, you can do that as well. And, and you can uh, give us your thoughts as well. As we go along. So that's exciting. Uh, I guess just keep an eye out. We will be announcing the time and the date for the first show. And that should be our pretty much our, our form. Our format going forward is that time, that date, unless something comes up, for example, if that just happens to fall on a holiday or something we'll you know we'll work around it we'll work around it but that's going to be for the most part you should be able to uh, look forward to one of these every couple weeks and it'd be more of a uh, an interactive experience so that's that's exciting stuff i do want to give a, a shout out of course to all the members over on the spawncast network and i i want to give a special shout out to our executive producers with achievement jano joshua butts mr joby and William Hogue. And also an honorable mention here to our producer, Trent A. And then, of course, our sponsor, who has continued along with us, that being The Game Orb. We do have their channel linked down below. Make sure you check them out, whether it's gameplay or live tours of live, of different events, whether it's conventions or going out to what seems to be just different events from Nintendo and others where they're playing games. Check it out there. And he also does a lot of Twitch streaming, different games that come out even some older games, some retro stuff. So if you're curious and you wanted to learn about some of those older games, make sure you head on over to their Twitch channel. But the YouTube account is linked down below. Big shout out to The Game Orb for continuing to stick with us as a sponsor for the Spawncast Network. So over the last couple of weeks, we've had some interesting developments, some surprising rumors and what I figure is speculation, but it's kind of taken on a mind of its own. And that has to do with Microsoft's plans for their next generation, maybe starting up a bit sooner than people were expecting. That is actually has a little bit of weight based on what they've done in the past. So we will 
we will discuss some of that. Also wanted to get into some of the console sales specifically because I, I do want to ask the question around Microsoft and how serious they are right now about their, their console hardware. Uh, and we have a lot of discussion around budgets. So curious about uh, Nate's take on some of the numbers or the figures we see getting thrown around and what Microsoft's plans should be, especially their strategy around licensed properties. We had Bobby Kotick, who's out now. Uh, he actually had his last day, apparently, uh, Friday. So we can go over how that may change. And, of course, wanted to look towards 2024 for, for Microsoft with the Xbox. And since we're in the holiday spirit, I figured we would talk about one of the better or what we think could be the best holiday lineup first year launch for Microsoft with a console. Of course, there's only so many to choose from, but figure it'd be fun looking back on the old days. So, Nate, did we want to start with the discussion around Microsoft's next generation system? This is something that seemed to spark up after, I believe, Kepler mentioned that and this was months ago, by the way, this is around the time of the FTC leaks, that they had heard that things were different than what was being described in those FTC slides, specifically that, I guess, development around the chipsets from AMD, it seems like, would be taking a different path and not necessarily align with what we're seeing, and that it actually would accelerate faster than the 2028 uh, initial date since we we did see that in the slide for next generation with microsoft starting up and then we had uh jeff grubb i believe followed up with that basically saying that they are looking to have the next generation start up yes in 2026 calling it even i, I guess this is the is this the phrase xbox next whether that's a pro or a full follow-up console now, the idea would be that they have actually canceled their plans for that revision, what Phil Spencer kind of alluded to, and that they are potentially moving to kickstart the next generation to get ahead of Sony. So, Nate, is this would this be a good idea for Microsoft? And do you think it, it actually has some weight? Could Microsoft say, you know what, six years for this cycle, that's good enough if we don't attempt a pro system, we'll say, as they did the Xbox One X, because the jump then would be six years. And that's a typical console cycle we've been used to in the past. I mean, if they do go this path, then it would have shades to what they had done with the Xbox 360, where they wanted to really just end the original Xbox generation as quick as they could. I believe it only had a four year four lifespan. Yep. And they were able to jump start the next generation and get a full year over Sony and the PlayStation 3, which really gave the Xbox 360 a lot of momentum that generation. And it's one of the reasons the 360 was the best-selling hardware in North America for the majority of its life, especially after it got a second wind when the Kinect came out. And the 360 was a very dominant platform that generation. But when you talk about them going a shortened life cycle with the current generation, it kind of brings me some hesitation only because we're about to enter 2024 and i think a lot of people would argue and agree that it doesn't feel as though microsoft or sony have really even begun this generation of consoles they launched in 2020 and how many exclusives have we seen from internal partners or either of the console manufacturers internal teams microsoft really just put out their first major internal release that comes from Bethesda with Starfield. And as we look to 2024, we know 
more games are coming. Hellblade 2, Avowed, for instance. And I think you could make the case that 2024 is maybe the moment it's going to feel as though Microsoft is starting to output some of those AAA first-party releases. And now this information is suggesting that they're going to have brand new hardware out. I guess you would say the holiday season of 2026. So in just over, well, less than three years from this moment of recording. And if that is the case, that would mean Microsoft would have to begin conversation with developers and partners no later than the early portion of 2025 to get a feel of what they want in terms of tools, type of RAM specifications, and all those types of things, it feels a bit accelerated if Microsoft is indeed contemplating releasing brand new next generation hardware as early as 2026. Could it work out for them if they were to go that path? Speaking now at the end of 2023, it feels incredibly high risk because you just asked people to invest for $500 into your system and your ecosystem and you're going to cut its life support short in just two more years? I mean, as a consumer, would you really feel as though you have confidence in this brand that sold you a $500 system, really didn't put that many games out on it, and then is saying, please buy our next generation system again for five dollars or $600 because this time we're going to do it right. And if you compound this with the information that Blade, a game that was just announced at the Game Awards, is currently targeting 2027, you have to really begin to wonder what type of support does the current Xbox series really have in terms of software, just the games that they have already announced? Because that's all you have to look forward to. It feels as though if Microsoft does intend to release hardware in 2026, that they are looking at this generation essentially as a wash and they're looking to punt. Yeah, you know, it is funny you mentioned Blade. The fact that there's no console branding anything attached to it, right? That was that was a big talking point when it when it first showed up because people thought, oh, maybe this is going to be on PlayStation, for example. But we sort of came to the determination that that could be because it's going to be on their next console. Like they don't they don't even know what's going to be called yet, I assume, or maybe they have some early ideas. Uh, Xbox Next comes up, which I hope that's not the name. But the idea is, well, this might not. I mean, it could be ready in 2028 for all we know right now with the way development can go. Uh, rarely does it all go to plan. So in my mind, that could have been a point where kind of leans towards the idea of that launch happening in 2026, holiday 2026. So technically, it would be very close right to 2027. But that is a good point you bring up that it feels like this generation took a while to get started. And now we're already, I mean, we're already talking about the PS5 Pro. However, that would still stay in this generation. It, it wouldn't, all games out on the PS5 Pro would also show up on the PS5. But if you think about it, Microsoft Hi-Fi Rush kicked off this year. And that, I mean, that was an Xbox Series only game. That wasn't even on the Xbox One. So technically, I mean, they really tried to get things just going to the Xbox Series because they had that, Forza, Starfield, Redfall. I mean, those are all games that are, like Xbox series only games. So they have kind of made that transition to this generation completely. Now it is just funny that we're, we're thinking, okay, we're two. Wow. Yeah. Like two years, less than two and a half years away from them introducing us to the next system. I, a lot of those mm -hmm. games they showed us will just be releasing then, or at least wrapping up. We're still waiting for Hellblade two. 
And right. that game got announced along with the Xbox Series X. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, I the only okay. thing I can see here is because backwards compatibility has become such a given now that the Xbox Series could still run until I mean, it'd be 2029, 2030 even. It's possible where the games just work across platforms. And that's what gives me pause as to what would they get out of the next generation? So what would make them go, okay, we have to make this move. What, what's the, what's the wrinkle? What's the thing that they add in that just makes games better? Right. That, I mean, that, that would that's be what I'm having the, a hard time coming up with. That would be the thing. Is it just going to be essentially a pro version of a series X, but they're going to call it a next generation system. We're going to have more advanced ray tracing. We're going to have AI upscaling and things that we're seeing as a very common feature on PC, or at least high-end PC, and I don't think that's enough for them to cut the generation short, because there's a lot of life left in the Xbox Series X. You can make the argument that the Series S could be a limiting factor as the generation continues to mature, but we still haven't seen a very specific example to suggest that it is an ongoing problem. Yes, we have Baldur's Gate 3, due to the local co-op option, but the game is now available on the Xbox and, you know, it's being very well received. We have Grand Theft Auto 6 coming in 2025 and they had confirmed it is coming to the Xbox Series line of hardware. We don't know how it will look and run on the Series S, but they have been able to confirm that that is going to be a platform that the game is coming to. And the fact that we have so many games in the pipeline from Microsoft's own studios, Perfect Dark, Fable, that lack release dates or even Windows. Are we really at the point where we have to entertain the idea that titles that were announced in 2020 and 2021 could potentially be cross-generation games? That's yeah, just, that, it doesn't invoke that weird? me with confidence. <laughs> I mean, that's just console site or or, uh, development cycles are getting to the point where they're matching up with console cycles. Seven years, seven years. They might as well announce the game at the beginning of the generation and be like, all right, this is it. This is all you're getting from this studio, this gen, because it takes forever to Mm -hmm. make these games. And I mean, that's a concern uh, because we also have studios from Microsoft's own internal partners that have yet to announce a game for this generation. And you can look no further than the coalition. They have not yet announced Gears of War 6, but if we are to operate on the timeline that we're seeing from other games, let's just say in 2024 they announce Gears 6, but we don't get a release window. Are we then to assume that the game is three or four years away? And at that point, if the game's not coming out until 2028, why even announce it for the current generation? If it's just going to be a next generation launch game or... At this point, if we entertain this information as truth, two years into the next generation for the Xbox. I I still I kind of think we're to the point where we're getting to the point, and maybe this generation up will base this next one up will basically end it. Like console generations, I feel like are the way we used to know them. It's pretty much over. I I try to think because it was so easy to make the jump from 16-bit to 32-bit to the ps2 and the gamecube and the and you know the xbox then going up to the 360 like you saw the differences you would even feel them in games and the production value kept going Mm -hmm. up and up and up and now i'm just looking at this thinking wow that the games cost significantly more to make and i don't 
see that kind of a jump in terms of the games themselves. Like it doesn't match the the budgets going behind them or like, right. for example, Spider-Man tripling in terms of its budget to get the Spider-Man 2. I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't I don't really see this. So I kind of feel like think... we get to the point where we just get system upgrades every few years and it's like cell phones. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing that baffles me is that even in the slides referring to Spider-Man 2's budget, there was talk amongst the developers themselves saying, is there enough here to even illustrate to the consumer why this is three times the budget of the first game? And having played through the game, platinumed it, I don't know why that game cost $300 million. Because it's nope. very similar to Spider-Man 1. Yeah. Like, yes, yeah. the scope is more grand, there's more detail in a lot of areas, triple the budget and the thing is is as these games take longer and longer to come out as the budgets get higher when you have a very advanced piece of technology like a playstation 5 or a series x if i were the console manufacturer as long as my competition isn't racing out brand new hardware i would want this generation to go as long as i possibly can milk it if it's eight nine years let it be so Unless your development partners are begging you for an upgrade because what they are creating is simply too ambitious for what the current hardware is offering, don't rush out hardware. We're no longer in that phase of every five to six years we need brand new hardware. We can go seven, eight, maybe even ten years depending on the projects that are in development and what the scope and as middleware and other technologies evolve and mature but there is no reason the xbox series x should only have a six-year lifespan that almost just feels insulting yeah. to the consumer <laughs> hey we, we went through it, the original xbox that four-year cycle i was crazy but games games didn't take that long to make then as they do now and i feel like if we if we all notice this I mean, we're on podcasts or talking about it in videos online if we notice that these games are costing a lot and they're taking forever to make people at these companies these platform holders obviously know it too and i almost wonder if that's something microsoft is setting out to solve right now quietly behind the scenes and because i'm looking at a lot of the discussion around the number of people that work on games and it doesn't seem to make a huge difference if you hire on a hundred more people or something like we see we hear about how big these studios are and how many people they hire, but then the game still takes forever to come out, you know, five, mm -hmm. six, seven years even, just mm -hmm. because the expectations need to go up. So I don't know if we're in a position where it's a, a, a manpower problem anymore, a developer issue when it comes to just getting more in there. I kind of feel like that dirty word AI is going to be a serious focus for Microsoft. They already, they already are super focused on AI. Mm -hmm. I almost wonder if that works its way into development tools in the background, more or less to help speed up and create better efficiency for these projects and yes. maybe somehow find their way into these systems as there's been speculation that maybe they include some sort of accelerator chip in the next Xbox that would do different things with artificial intelligence for games. Like, mm -hmm. can they alter and affect the world that you're in, the NPCs that you interact with? Uh, can they even link it up to live events that are happening around the world? That sort of thing. I, It's interesting to consider that stuff because we've also seen Sony patent stuff very recently where I don't want to say the game would play itself, but it would analyze your gameplay 
over the course of several hours. And if you're struggling with a boss, say in um, Demon Souls, it would show up and give you button prompts as to when to press it and, and just to try to help you along past that boss. And I almost wonder if we get to a point where you just hand the controller to the AI and it just gets you past it and then it hands it back to you and it uses your tendencies to beat that boss to kind of teach you how to do it. Yeah, AI is definitely going to be used to ease a bit of development. And they've kind of already expressed that they would love to use it in a testing to figure out and QA. find bugs mm -hmm. and go through that QA process to streamline the process and make it quicker. And we're definitely at the point where it's not a manpower issue. It's just games, their scope continue to evolve and get bigger and bigger. And we've seen with some companies where they say, okay, we've have hired an additional hundred employees, but instead of keeping the scope of the game as it were prior to the hiring, they brought on the hundred people and say, well, now we have more people. We can make the game bigger and more grand. And yep. it's kind of an Ouroboros situation where due to their ambition, they're hiring more, but then they get more ambitious because they have more people. So they're just eating themselves. And then the budgets go up because you're bringing on more people which means you have to pay these individuals. And when a project takes six or seven years, well, that's a lot of time when you're paying individuals, let's say 60, $70,000, depending on the state, the region, the country and such. When you have thousands of employees, well, it becomes very expensive. It becomes something that now you're looking at saying, well, what is the baseline that we have to sell to break even? And when we look at the information, from the Insomniac, they had to sell, I believe it was 7 million copies of Spider-Man 2 to break even. That's yeah. a lot of <laughs> copies. If 7 million is your break even point, think about when you see some of these companies come out and they say, well, we sold, we sold 5 million copies in a year and we have to go, we have to shut down. And people say, how can a game that sold 5 million copies not be profitable? Now we have evidence. Now you have the proof you need of how the industry is not sustainable because these prices are so high. And that's not even factoring in licensing where they're paying hundreds of millions of dollars to use a character. And that inflates cost. The ind industry is just in a very odd place right now. And eventually this bubble has to burst. And it's going to be a scary day when it does, because we saw the layoffs that occurred in 2023. And the unfortunate reality is going to be, we're going to see and hear of a lot of layoffs going into 2024. You think a major publisher would basically have to be in serious trouble for that to be like the bubble bursts where like a Ubisoft or an EA or just some big publisher that we've been used to this entire time just kind of goes under. I think some of them may be closer to their bubble bursting than when than we really realize. And since you mentioned like Ubisoft, I think they're a good example to use. They put out Avatar earlier this month. Have we heard any talk about its sales? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, it's already on sale. If that's like it's it's already like forty percent it forty percent off or something like they mark that down pretty quick think, and think about how scary uh, that has to be for them because you know the license of avatar didn't come cheap oh no so no, 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 what not, was the break even point for a game like avatar Ooh, it's um i mean it's Seven not as much minutes, as like, spider i don't think you think it's i don't know if it's as much spider-man too but it's probably several million copies just to get your head above water like, yeah let's say it's like five million copies 
Yeah, and now you compound that with Assassin's Creed Mirage, a game that Ubisoft has come out and said it had a lot of players, but they kept emphasizing players and not sales. And now you go into 2024. We have the Prince of Persia game coming up. By all means, a game that looks to be exceptional quality, mm-hmm. but it's a 2D Metroidvania. So what's really the sales potential of that Prince of Persia game? A million, million and a half, maybe two million? But that's, I mean, that to me seems like a title that is uh, built with that in mind. Like, it, this is not a, it's not expensive ideally, game or anything, right? Ideally, yes. But if you have, but then you have Skull and Bones and following it immediately. So you could feasibly <laughs> have Avatar and Skull and Bones, two games that cost hundreds of millions of dollars, licensing fees. And if they bomb, you don't have anything to offset any of those costs. They were because, stuck with Skull and Bones, though. <laughs> they yes, had to put unfortunately. that thing Yes, <laughs> unfortunately. Like, Ubisoft's in kind of a precarious situation there, because if you have two titles that aren't performing well, and then your own internal expect, you know, expectations were X millions of copies, and you're coming in below that. And we could look at Ubisoft even going back to 2022, where Mario Rabbid Sparks of Hope underperformed. How many underperforming games can a studio like Ubisoft really be able to survive until they do hit a point of they have to start slashing budgets they have to do layoffs they have to cancel projects in development and they have to begin to look at the possibility of an acquisition just to stay afloat so here's here's kind of what i think is going on at microsoft with this if i had to take a guess just based on what microsoft is they're a services company but more specifically they're a services company with uh, enterprise in mind i almost wonder if they're working to figure out AI integration with game development. And then they just basically become like how Unreal Engine is in the industry now to where you basically license out middleware, like AI tools from them for your development. And it basically saves you money and time while you then obviously pay Microsoft the money that you're kind of, I mean, you're saving, but the idea being it can accelerate and get you to market faster. I almost wonder if that's what's happening at Microsoft now. And part of this would play into some sort of uh, either AI hardware that they would have and sell behind the scenes with partners, or if there's some sort of breakthrough when it comes to the console itself with a, an accelerator chip or something that would be part of the new Xbox. And that would be like the big aha moment. It's like, oh, these games that we would get every seven years, we actually get them every three years now. Like I would, I would take that to me. That would be, that I think would be a bit a good step in the right direction, even if it's like okay now AI is heavily infused with the industry. Yeah, I mean the day will come where AI is going to be heavily infused in the industry, as you said, and the reception to that day is going to be a very interesting day, because in the ideal situation, AI would just be a complementary tool. It's going to help developers be able to well, release games more efficiently yeah. and such. It's just going to be that question of, is that the means that AI is going to be used? Huh. Or somebody's is it going to lead to layoffs? Yeah, yeah, somebody's going to push the end. We know this. And that's going to be that dark day if that is the case. And I'm not naive enough to believe that all the companies are going to use AI in a friendly, complimentary way. But ideally, that is how it's used. It's... We're at a very interesting time for the industry. We're kind of 
if we want to say the NES through the Super NES was the infancy and the teenage years was really the introduction of 3D gaming and it didn't mature into a young adult until let's say the dawn of HD gaming, I guess you would say we're still in that young adult phase. Maybe we just graduated college and now the industry has to figure out where does it want to go into the future? What career path is it going to take? So it's kind of a big step. It's a transformative age for the industry. Is it going to be sustainable as budgets continue to go up and licensing fees and AI is introduced? Or is it going to take a year off? It's going to take a sabbatical to figure out what it needs to do before it leads itself to self-destruction. And I mean, we'll definitely get answers to, to these in the next five to 10 years. Yeah, it's really hard to well, say what the future holds. Either, I mean, at this point, all I can tell you is unless they figure out a solution, games will game development will exceed console lifespans. <laughs> like we will get to that point where a game is announced at the beginning of a generation for the next console and they don't even exactly know yeah. what it's going to be. Like we we might look eventually and be like, "Oh, remember when we used to get games every 6 years? Those were the good days. Now it's like every decade." <laughs> it's um Yep. It's I mean, it's, we it's went interesting from... stuff. I mean, you could look at the 360 generation. You got four Gears of War games that generation. You got yeah. the trilogy and then you got the side story with Judgment. Well, we are now three years into the generation and we don't have a single one. It took pretty much the entire Xbox One generation for us to get Gears 5. Hive Busters DLC came out towards the end of the generation. And then we had Gears of War Tactics. Well, I, I would have been shocked if with the Xbox Series X and S launch and Halo Infinite missing the launch, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be shocked if behind the scenes they were like, okay, whatever you're all doing, put it down. Halo needs, it, it needs to get out. Get the, whatever you, are you working on gear set? You know what? Put it, put it aside. We got to get this done. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if something like that happened and it, and it set things back a little, because that was such a surprise delay. And I almost wonder if that played into the idea of this generation still feeling like it just got started. It definitely played a role a bit in that perception, but even if you just go back to the last generation, and it's across the entire industry. It's not exclusive to Microsoft. It's just how slow production of gaming has become. Because mm. you look back at the PlayStation 2 and the original Xbox generation, and you had games coming out within the... the it's, that was amazing. Like the main line franchises every two to three years. It would, at one point, we were getting a game every year. <laughs> uh -huh. right, like remember, you, Rockstar was rolling. Yeah, Rockstar was rolling. The majority of the industry was rolling. And then it slowed down with the advent of HD gaming, which people could understand. This was very new. It was demanding. But you were still getting pretty reliable output. And then we went into that Xbox One, PlayStation 4 generation, where a lot of companies all of a sudden really went to that halt. Of, Wait a minute. And unfortunately for Xbox, I would say they're definitely the biggest victim of this, that it really hasn't felt as though they've recovered from the Xbox One generation, we're still waiting for a lot of these teams to live up to the promise that they had during the 360 generation. And we're just waiting for them to come up with the next big thing. And the fact that like from the coalition that we haven't seen anything in terms of a major release since Gears 5 is pretty damning. Wasn't it amazing that during that generation we got 
and El- we got Oblivion and we got Skyrim in one generation on the same mm-hmm. system. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. And Fallout was in there too. Man, those are the good days. I mean, how many years were <laughs> there between Oblivion and Skyrim? What was it five, six? Six? It was six years, right? It's uh, six-ish, maybe like five or... and three quarters or something. But yeah, yeah it wasn't like... And it's Elder Scrolls Six, and we're like, I will see you in a decade. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, we'll see the next Elder Scrolls in 2030. Oh gosh! Like, even the Fable games. AI. Like, look how quick the Fable games came out. The gap between yeah. Fable One and Two. It's pretty. It was pretty short, wasn't it? Because Fable One showed up towards the end of the original Xbox Life. It was like mm-hmm. the last year or something, uh, mm-hmm. and then Fable Two showed up just a couple years later. Yeah, it, it's astounding the difference of the industry in terms of output from developers and everything and yeah it largely does come down to those that budgets and companies no they're not willing to take a risk anymore it's we have to release this game because it costs us 250 million dollars and we want to make a billion dollars in revenue on it before we have to calculate marketing and such and we're going to focus group test this to hell to ensure we're going to make a lot of money on every release and if it takes us seven years you get this release done that's what it takes us and as a consumer you just have to sit there and say okay well to the indies <laughs> which even I, uh, those are taking a while yeah, now i mean where's um where's hollow knight silk song wasn't that oh man 12 months <laughs> uh two years ago uh, hey you know what i indie developers would would benefit quite a bit from ai tools as well so i know we talked about for big triple a budgets and stuff but i feel like Indie developers might actually benefit even more from it. So we'll uh, we'll see how this industry navigates the next couple of years. But it's going to be interesting. Uh, I do want to shift gears, though, Nate, and bring this up as we, of course, the Sony Insomniac stuff happened, those leaks. And it was pretty controversial because it was from ransomware that took place with a group managing to steal one and a half terabytes of data from Insomniac and technically Sony, as there were a lot of stuff just from just PlayStation in general there mounted over 1.3 million files, but because it was done in a, a, this malicious uh, event, you know, a a crime was committed. uh, There's an investigation underway and stuff. There seemed to be some uh, moral conflict. I'll say in, in the gaming industry that I I think surprised many people. It surprised me. I I will admit (laughs) it definitely did. And I was, uh, I was trying to figure out, okay, if this happened to Microsoft, which they had that FTC leak, but that was Microsoft who did it. No one stole the stuff from Microsoft. They legitimately just attached it to the wrong thing. And here we are seeing their next gen plans or what were their next gen plans 2020. Uh, if this happened to Microsoft, would we be covering it on this channel? And in what way would we? Because, of course, there was a lot of <laughs> customer data or not customer but employee data that was in there. There were passports, mm-hmm. apparently. Uh, but there seem to be people who were very hesitant to just not talk about it at all. Well, other than, Hey, this happened. We're not going to dive into, I'm sorry, incredibly compelling information. I mean, stuff we never see for gaming. The gaming industry was right in front of us. Mm -hmm. Um, that actually, uh, I would say explains a lot of stuff that's happening right now. So it's hard for me to bury my head in the sand for a lot of this stuff, but people were attempting to different outlets and, and, and stuff. So, I don't know what was your what was your take on this Nate with morality in mind I I, I kind of a uh, uh, went over some of my thoughts in a video I can talk about a bit here too but what, what were your thoughts I don't think I ever got them from you I think in a situation like 
the insomniac ransomware theft it brings up a definitely i see why certain individuals maybe were hesitant but the flaw of that is the second the information enters the public zeitgeist you can't ignore that it's there the information is now being disseminated on forums on twitter it's not as though you as an outlet or a personality sought out the files yourself it's not as though you went to the dark web and did the dealing with the ransomware individuals to gain access to the information the second it is being disseminated across public platforms i think as a outlet and as a personality within the gaming industry and a voice within the gaming industry you have some responsibility to discuss it because when you look at what happened with the insomniac leak and you look at some of the slides talking about budget information sales expectation all the stuff that the general public doesn't have knowledge of and now you are able to become illuminated in why the industry isn't sustainable why they have to sell so many you know so many copies why companies are shuttering despite appearing as though they're profitable with certain sale goals you have a better understanding as to how the industry works due to some of the information that came out from this leak and yes the way that it was obtained was malicious it is theft it is no way endorsing what happened here but the second it is public information i think it does fall on the outlet to talk about that information because it's not as though ignoring it means the individuals who view a channel are going to be in the dark they have likely heard it or seen it elsewhere and by communicating what the information is maybe shedding additional light and explaining put some of the slides and the information on it it can help those individuals who are seeing it and they're in over their head they're not understanding all this information so i think it does it ultimately is a situation of if you don't want to talk about it don't talk about it but maintain that stance when it comes to other hacks or leaks moving into the future don't say well i'm not going to talk about this one because i'm friends with someone at insomniac but then if the exact same situation happens with rockstar you're going to talk about that leak in detail be just consistent with your stance either talk about the leak or don't and then don't talk about any leaks moving forward but once it becomes public, I think it's fair game for anyone and all to discuss it because it's out there. You can't. That was a big it. thing that came up was the, the the idea that okay, Capcom suffered pretty much an identical situation, uh, ransomware. They said no, we're not paying that, and then mm -hmm. employee information got dumped along with Capcom's future plans as well. They had a roadmap that was out there, other files too. Yes, the and, Capcom uh, leak in many ways was more substantial than what we saw with Insomniac. Yeah, you could you could say that. I mean, Capcom's a, a smaller company anyway, so it would do more damage to them, I think, in the long yeah, it's run. Far more damaging for a company like Capcom to have their future roadmap detailed than Insomniac, which is part of Sony. It has their protection. It has, you know, a lot of advantages that Capcom would not have here. So it was definitely a weird double standard where people can say, well, we learned from the Capcom leak that happened three years ago. We've grown, we've adjusted. And if that's the stance you want to take, that's all you have to say. 
say we did cover Capcom three years ago, but we've learned since then, and we are choosing not to discuss the Insomniac leak due to those reasons. And that's all you say. You stop there. Going any further, it feels a bit as though you're just going out of your way because Insomniac is a Sony studio and it's a Western studio and you likely know individuals there. So you're playing a bit of favoritism, whereas you didn't care about the Japanese company because you don't know anyone at the Japanese company. Oh, that's that's a good point. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even think of that by region, but yeah, you're you're right there. The uh, the Grand Theft Auto Six stuff as well. Those leaks got out there. That was malicious. It was stolen uh, from a Slack channel, to my understanding. And there was some employee stuff in there too, uh, in ter- terms of communication and, and that sort of thing. And uh, we saw what happened. The the person is uh, uh, basically part of uh what a a hospital now and they're just they're there until they're cleared or basically they're going to be there for a long time based on the stuff they were saying in court but they they hacked it with like a fire tv and a and a phone Uh which is uh, ridiculous obviously but there's uh, there's a lot of information in these stories that i think is worth discussing and reporting on and putting out there for public knowledge because it's it's already yeah. out there. It's going to come up. Hey, what do you think Insomniac's going to do when we talk about the predictions for 2025 or 2026? Gee, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, Again, it's not like I we saw their roadmap. Like, and that's the <laughs> like, There's definitely due diligence with it. If it's the slides about a game and you're looking at it saying, okay, well, here's the whole plot of Wolverine. I think it's on the outlet or the personality to say, oh, I'm not going to spoil the whole game. Right. We can talk about some of the details there that are pertinent to what we're discussing about the project or the leak. Obviously, individuals, you know, their salaries, their passports, anything that does with the employees is off limits. And then when it just comes to game to game leaks and information, you have to look at the information and say, what here has value to my audience? What can I discuss here that is fair game? Like a plot point, not fair game. Leave that alone. Don't spoil a game two years in advance for everybody. If they decide to seek it out themselves, they made that choice. But if you want to talk about some of the in-game mechanics that we see being discussed or how Logan will play and some of the features the game will have, that's fair game. The sales data that we've seen, the budget information that we've seen, that's all fair game. It really comes down just to the individual taking on some responsibility and doing right by their audience, which I guess you could argue in 2023, maybe you don't have a lot of faith in individuals to do right by their audience. And they're just going to take every piece of information they see, run it even a bit of ignorance by running some of the information simply for quick clicks and gaining that clout to say, oh yeah, I spoiled all of Wolverine. Look at me where it's no, a responsible outlet will not do that. And nobody should be doing that. But this was definitely an odd case because some of the more vocal individuals who were against discussing the leak in any way also have cameos in Spider-Man 2. Well, (laughs) okay. Yeah, that doesn't help the case much for them. Yeah, Uh, I mean, just and that'd be fine if you were to come out and say, I have friends who work at the studio and I'm respecting them by not talking about the leak. I think people could walk away and say, I understand why you're taking that stance. Does that, does that, does that like, I feel like then you'd be kind of like admitting to uh, a conflict of interest kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, well, when insomnia comes back up, 
do we how serious do we take your thoughts on things there then? <laughs> that's that's then, yeah. I, maybe that's why it wasn't something that was just thrown out oh yeah yeah we know we know them there we're friends we're not gonna talk about it well okay what does that mean going forward with with commentary around insomniac then right i mean i guess even with spider-man 2 when you have two was it 20 percent of your panel appearing in the game as cameos how much are you really valuing their critique to begin with yeah, I kind of had that issue with Cyberpunk at the time, and that was a—I mean, that was a, mm-hmm. a wild situation in general. But like, just the way, just the way I feel like press media—I guess too friendly, more influencers. I guess yes. What, how close the industry is getting with the the studios and the big publishers themselves—it—it's—it seems a little to it's me a little a, concerning. It, it does. It does. It's definitely the line is blurring between traditional media and whom they consider an influencer because you could say using kind of funny as an example here they're not traditional media they are not journalists at this point they are influencers they are personalities they are essentially carson daly right but i mean they're given the same access that a lot of the big outlets get right and that's hard i think for people out from the outside looking in to you know right. just like okay what's different here exactly if they're getting the same and that's access. the issue now is that the influencer line is so blurred because publishers understand an influencer is just another arm of their marketing department right and if they can use influencers or media personalities to cover a game and you know pay for sponsor spots and stuff and as long as it's being disclosed you know there's no issue with that but there's definitely some cases where maybe an individual is not being forthcoming with those sponsor spots and such it's just it's a very odd situation that when we were growing up in gaming we didn't have those type of blurred lines we bought egm we read the review and i guess you could say we were ignorant a bit because we don't know if they were paid off we just assumed they weren't hmm yeah, yeah, I mean that, and we eventually had G4, and I'm sure there's a lot of product placement we were not aware of back then when we were younger. <laughs> um, yeah. But it was uh, <laughs> definitely a different time to where it is now, where it's, um, hey, I mean, people can get on YouTube and put their thoughts out there, and I think that's a great thing in general, but it does, uh, you're right, it does start to blur the lines a bit when it gets to where the professional world is clashing with the the people Mm -hmm. who sit on their recliner and talk about the games and it's like okay well where's the is there money exchanging hands here is it is it the cameo appearance is like it's it's tough it is and once you start making friends with all these different studios it i feel like it becomes harder and harder to Mm -hmm. objectively cover them so that's why i don't have any friends in the industry so there you go and that's the thing where a lot of these a lot of these (laughs) personalities will also say that's where they say we're not a journalist you know i'm just a personality where i'm just giving my opinion on things and i i'm not saying to take my opinion or such any more than any other individual and that's what they use as their shield so that when they're hosting an event for ea or square enix and then they're talking about some of the games that were shown in those presentations when the games come out. Nobody is stopping to say, well, wait a minute. You were the one who introduced this game. So how objective are you really being here? People are really just taking them as you're just a personality. You're no different than the host of E talking about a movie. You're not thinking of it as a, are you a journalist? Are you a critic? Because they're not critics at the end of the day. They're just right. a commentator in the industry. 
but I do think the industry has to begin to maybe consider making a definitive line. But as a publisher or a marketing company, I'm going to continue to blur those lines because unfortunately influencers are the ones who are more trusted than traditional media. And a very unfortunate reality is the things that people accuse traditional media of being like being paid off. That's more, you know, more so the case when it comes to an influencer. That's so true. the very well, thing we, they hate outside is, of gaming and everything too. We, we've seen it. We've seen it yeah. across the board. For the yeah, lot of the stuff. very thing people are against is the thing that they love an influencer for being. Yeah. So, well, it's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting times, but that that's been my concern all along is, uh, you get too close to uh, any one studio and before you know it, you're placed at this weird moral crossroads. And you're not sure what to do because you're friends with Steve in marketing or or uh, or Joey in development or or uh, or Sally in voiceover or something. And you're like, oh, no, now what? So don't really want to be in that situation. So nope. it's uh, it's probably easier that they all just hate us. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I said I like the idea of a neutral to slightly adversarial press to the these companies. That's kind of where, where my thought was. It's like they you're not friends with them. You don't necessarily you're not enemies with them, but they uh they they don't they don't walk up and put their arm around you at a at an event kind of thing, right? Yeah, like so. you could be personal friends on a person-to-person basis, but when it comes time to do your job, it's, hey, if you released a bad game, I'm going to say your game is bad. You, yeah, yeah. You should respect me enough to understand that this is my profession, this is our product, and as your profession, to be a critic is to critique that product. You don't sit there and say, well, Sally worked on this, and I'm friends with Sally, so I'm going to give the game a benefit of the doubt for Sally. It's no, hey, Sally, sorry, your game sucks. And it she'll say, thank because... you for telling us that game sucks. We can go get <laughs> drinks after because we're friends in real life. But my company hates you because you gave my game a three out of ten. It was it was funny because we were starting to talk to Microsoft a bit more. And then Redfall came out and we were like, well, we're going to have to bury this very, game. Hopefully they still talk to us afterwards. Game. <laughs> and I mean, time to bury. <laughs> from my history in the industry, I can say... These companies, especially in the marketing and such, the companies know when a game is poor. They know going into it. So if you come in highly positive, they'll kind of sit there and say, okay, well, you're you're full of shit. <laughs> and if you're honest, and if you come up with value critique, and you back your critique with reasoning, and it's not just, Redfall sucks because I don't like vampires, and I think the game sucks. It's like, okay, well, that's terrible. If you back up your reasoning, they will respect you for it and they will grant you further opportunities to cover and review games and preview games because that's how the industry is meant to work. You could make the case that has the industry kind of shifted in a scarier way where they're trying to avoid that type of critique, especially in the advent and the genesis of the influencer. That's always positive because you can pay for it. Maybe, but I'd like to believe that the industry is still at that point of we know what critique is. We we need reviews. Like the developers need reviews because they do read them and they do look at the critique and say, okay, where can we get better? Be it for a patch or for a sequel. They want to hear that feedback so they can make the adjustments. So all this only positive talk is kind of detrimental because you need that guideline of how can I get better? 
And if no one's offering you, you're going to sit there and say, well, I guess what we made was great, so we can just do it again. And then when everyone hates it a second time around, it's, well, what did we do wrong? Oh, well, all this stuff is bad now. Like, well, no one said that the first time around, so help us. But... I yeah, do want to. Oh. Yeah, Redfall. That worked out well. <laughs> I do. I do. I do want to look towards Microsoft's 2024 while also tying in one of the topics we had here, and that has to do with Bobby Kotick, who is now gone. Actually, you'll be listening to this by the time the weekend rolls around, and his last day was Friday because when the new week starts, the new year starts. I'm sure he's very sad leaving with what I can only assume amounts to tens of millions of dollars worth of a bonus. Uh, it's uh, tough times for Bobby, but he's gone. And uh, Microsoft did announce changes when it comes to the structure for Activision Blizzard, mostly that they would be essentially reporting to Matt Booty. And the core structure of Activision Blizzard would remain intact. And the interesting thing now, as we go to 2024, we, uh, we're kind of expecting Microsoft to have some pretty big releases, but we're also expecting them to lead the way for the final stages of the new call of duty game for the year. Cause this is, this is now on Microsoft by, as that Bobby Kodak's out. He has as much as I know people, uh, people don't like him. Hey, he, he got call of duty out every year for better or worse. It, it came out. It's still shocking to me that they were able to do that because of, we just talked about game budgets and development times. Uh, but now it's up to Microsoft. And I, I do want to ask you, as we, kind of start up some talk about what games we can expect. How do you think this is going to go for Microsoft? And it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting period of transition. Do you, do you think Call of Duty still comes out holiday 2024? It comes out right on cue, or do you think there's an issue behind the scenes and they actually delay it out of that holiday? I'd say in these first couple of years, so 2024, maybe up to 2025 or 2026 we will see the games release on schedule only because those types of games are already at a point of development that they're very far along this is what their internal scheduling and planning is dictating and i don't think microsoft is going to want to disrupt that flow too much as the franchise really comes fully under their belt so it would be the next installments that microsoft would really have total say and control over things that haven't yet begun development then that's going to be that period that i'm going to be very interested in to see if microsoft maybe says let's make these a every two every three year release let's focus on them and making them maybe bigger games or just more content rich and allow the development teams more time to flesh things out, explore new ideas, and return Call of Duty to that epic event that it used to be back during the 360 generation. Because when Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare hit, it stopped the industry. Everyone paid attention to that game. It changed the first-person genre forever. It evolved online gaming. And we haven't had Call of Duty really have that moment replicated since modern warfare and if microsoft can do that again with call of duty in three or four years i'll be interested i'll be very interested to see what microsoft does moving forward but not, it's, i don't think it's going to be in the immediate i'm i mean i'm not 
I don't want to say it's uh, it's too concerning, but Microsoft hasn't exactly had the best track record of games hitting their dates, especially after what we saw with Halo. That was a whole debacle where it missed the console launch. I feel like they've gotten better since then as games have come out. But I mean, we saw Starfield get delayed. Forza got pushed, really. It's uh, it's been interesting for Microsoft, like I said, the start generation. But I, Call of Duty, I assume part of that purchase was Call of Duty comes out every year. It makes a lot of money. That's why it's costing us $70 billion for the most part. I know they got King and Blizzard, but like, let's be real. It's Call of Duty. Call of Duty is right there. That's the big, that's the big showpiece. But Call of Duty, I assume, end of next year, they're going to set that up as a big tentpole release. And what what do you think is the first game that comes out for them in 2024? Because, I mean, we have a, a nice little list of games that have already been announced that people are expecting. So, for example, we have Hellblade 2. Uh, Stalker 2 is still out there somewhere. Uh, we have Avowed. That's a, obviously a pretty big one uh, as well. And Indiana Jones is quietly sitting in the background. And I almost wonder if that's going to be shown and and maybe get some kind of release window, a year, something. So what do you think the first game is that comes out in 2024 for Microsoft? Of the game mentioned there, I'd say Hellblade 2. Okay, Hellblade 2. You know, Hellblade 2... To me, I, I think that is going to be a surprise release. Not necessarily that. I feel like people understand that's probably going to be a good game. I almost wonder if that game's going to come out and be like, whoa, this is, this is even better than I thought it would be. I, I kind of, it does feel like because Ninja Theory did a lot with that first one in terms of their budget, which I think then was like $10 million. So they did a whole docu-series on it. Uh, and it seems like they've been given exponentially more money and time to make this. And every time we see it, visually speaking, it looks incredible. So I, I almost wonder if this is a game that comes out and just blows people's minds. I think it will. I mean, as said in a previous episode, might have been direct Xbox 9 or 10, that last year I was hearing that the internal Metacritic score that Microsoft had for the game was in the 90s. Ooh. And So interesting. Okay, so... If it's not, if they have an, so they're, they're focus group testing they're have the reviewers come in to check it out and they're getting back stuff in the nineties scores in the nineties. Mm-hmm. That is what you're saying. Yeah. At least internally, that is what they're anticipating. It, not sure if it's fully based on mock reviews. It could just be internal mock reviews. Hmm. Not sure if it's been external mock reviews, but if that is what they're projecting is something in the low nineties, that would be their highest Metacritic game since gears three and that could surprise a lot of people if it comes in especially if it comes in in the early portion of 2024 and they start off the year with let's say a game with a metacritic score of 92 that'd be impressive it sets a tone yeah that's what that's what we're looking for from microsoft is a game that's not a forza horizon Mm -hmm. to show up and hit in that low 90s that's that's the big thing that people are pushing for them so if they if that happened, that would be impressive. One, I'd have to give Ninja Theory a ton of credit for building off of uh, Hellblade 1, but also Microsoft for allowing them to to go that far. So that's that is the one I'm definitely keeping an eye on though is Hellblade 2. I just I feel like this is a game that Microsoft understands has to do well at this point because it, they've talked about it for so long. Uh, yeah, it's been a game we just continue to see time and time again. 
so they're definitely positioning it as kind of a tentpole release for the platform because this was the introductory title that we saw for the Xbox Series line of hardware. So Microsoft is definitely positioning it that way of this has significance. This is an IP that we see value in. And it's going to be curious to see how they manage to evolve it from the first game. Are we going to have a more in-depth combat system? How are the psychosis going to play a role in this game? What type of traversal and exploration are we going to have in the game? Because we've really, despite seeing the game now, what, four or five times, we've only seen small glimpses at how the gameplay is really going to function. We've seen bits of the combat system, but we really don't know how this game is going to immerse us. So when the game does get dated and is shown again, ideally with a little more of an in-depth dive, it's going to be very telling and ideally it sets a nice tone for Microsoft going into 2024 and it excites the fan base because this feels as though it's going to potentially be one of the graphical showcases of the entire generation. Okay, so we think Hellblade 2 and Call of Duty would be two big tentpole title releases for 2024 for Microsoft. Uh, maybe one to cap the year, one to start it off. But what do you think the other big release would be for like it? Let's say because they say they want to do one per quarter. That's their that's their goal. And they feel like they're just about there. So you have Hellblade 2 to take up a quarter. You have Call of Duty to take up a quarter. Is you think of you think a Vowed can make it out next year? I think a Vowed is going to find itself in a situation where it could potentially make it in the second half of next year, but I also wouldn't be too surprised if we hear that it gets delayed into the first half of 2025. Okay. Okay. That's, that, that would be fine too. And uh, I mean, there's been discussion that there is a, a new Doom game, a Doom game of some kind floating around out there. I think what Doom Year Zero or something that's been mentioned. Uh, there could be a new Wolfenstein's been discussed. I feel like <laughs> there are a lot of possibilities of games that could just randomly get announced and come out months later. I almost wonder if Microsoft has a shadow drop even ready, kind of like what they did with Hi-Fi Rush. But the thing I'm really curious about at this point, Nate, okay, this is serious. When does Perfect Dark come back? Is that a 2024, not necessarily release, but do you think that's a game that they touch on again in 2024? Potentially, yes. Because the last time we had seen it was, what, the Game Awards of 2021? Been a while, or yeah. 2022, which year was it? Uh, was it, I feel like it was 2021. Okay. I think so, let me see. Game Awards. Because it, it was the year after the, oh no, it was 2020. It was 2020. 2020. It was the okay. it was the because the Xbox series had just come out. So it was mm -hmm. three years ago, actually. Uh, a couple weeks ago. Three okay. years ago. And I would say there's probably a fairly high chance that we do see Perfect Dark at some point in 2024. It could be the Game Awards 2024, you know. Oh December. my gosh. <laughs> but I think we Four see another. Later. I think we get some sort of trailer, maybe something similar to what we got from Fable earlier this year. Mm, okay you know i am noticing that they just have a lot of games that are announced for everwild uh state of k3 mm -hmm. 
like games that I don't I don't know if we're going to see this year because, you know, you, you just got you talk about the games that are coming out. But then also when you have big announcements in that year, it works to you know drive excitement for the platform. And people remember, even if it's the game's not released that year, the fact that it was announced or shown off in more detail. Ah, this is this is interesting. Microsoft seems pretty confident they're getting everything set up for that one per quarter. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, even if they have the to... one per corner, we still have, you know, are we going to see another Forza Horizon game in 2024 yeah. or would that be 2025? The thing with that, though, isn't, I mean, they're they're busy with Fable. Or they just have a whole other part of their studio that's also working on Forza Horizon. Well, Forza Horizon is also kind of like a joint thing where you have Sumo oh, yeah. and other teams assisting them with those. I guess that's true. That's a good point. That's uh, double fine is out there somewhere. I feel like they mm-hmm. might have something. I think at this point, you know what? You got to make that statement. It's time for the coalition to show up. 2024. It's a great year. If they don't show Gears of War 6 this year, then they need to release like a Gears collection. They have to do something with the Gears brand in 2024 just to remind people gears is still important to us so whether it's a gear six trailer a gears collection something anything related to gears of war 2024 is the year to make that statement if 2024 comes and goes without any word about a gears title i think that's a misplay i think clockwork uh revolution (laughs) and south of midnight probably gonna miss 2024 i think those are still further out personally I think South of Midnight could potentially make by end of the year. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm okay with that. That'd be cool. And obviously, who knows what Kojima's doing? Uh, It'll be a while for that with OD. Yeah. (laughs) Good luck with that one. (laughs) Um, But then, unfortunately, State of Decay 3, it sounds like that's a whole thing, too. And that's not going to be for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm man. This could be. I think the coalition is the one to watch right now. They typically have set the tone in previous generations. They will show up with some visually impressive game. Gear six, cool. Maybe I don't know. Maybe something. Maybe they surprise people. But I, I think they're the ones to watch right now. It's been a while. Twenty twenty four is. Mm-hmm. I think their time. So that's that's what I'm looking towards. And then I'd look towards Hellblade two to make a statement to open the year, and obviously Call of Duty just sell bazillion copies at the end. And since Microsoft claims Activision Blizzard now, there you go, <laughs> it's, it's theirs. But otherwise, it's it's anyone's guess with some of these titles that have been floating around for a little while now. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm intrigued by Microsoft for 2024. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think the coalition is my biggest want of 2024, only because they're going to make a visual statement. They're going to say this is what next generation visuals Unreal and, Five. and will be. And it's just going to be a moment of, wow, whatever they show yeah. is going to make people just pause and say, wow, that's a video. They did that, that like um, teaser with Unreal. They collabed with Epic mm-hmm. and it looks ridiculous. You know, the guy where the guy's picking up the crystal and looking at it looks yes. crazy. So, and that's so, the thing. If they come up with like gear six. And let's say it looks close to the Matrix demo. Oh yeah, that'd be People pretty are impressive. Say like, wait a minute, what? Like, this is a game, and all they have to say is, "This is here's an in-engine demonstration of Gear Six running on Unreal Engine 5. Like, okay, that's a statement. Came late in the generation, but that's a statement. We're paying attention now. 
Oh, Nate. Also, speaking of hope, why are you giving these people no. hope about banjo? Um, I figure I bring this up before we before we finish. I up was here with repeating. Some more I was repeating what I said last. Here we go June. again. It's a repeat of information from June of 2022. Oh boy, it is not new. I don't know why everyone cling to it. It's, it is. It's. It got reported all over the place. There's headlines everywhere about an insider saying that Banjo it, Kazooie is in development or Banjo games in development at Xbox now. I said that last year. People oh. made news of it then. Well, they made news about it now. But it's the same <laughs> news. Hey, it got MVG banned from Reddit, and they took it and posted it again today on Reddit. <laughs> It's going to be a while. As said, it's still early. These are This is a type of project that will change scope. It will have internal reboots. This isn't going to be anything that we see in the immediate future. So put the bird back in the backpack. Phil did Relax. say he hears, he hears the banjo fans. He hears them. Yeah, he hears the... Who, um, I, my, I think the thing that's always eluded people is who who develops it that's the problem that's what people are trying to figure it's like microsoft's problem with killer instinct until iron galaxy came back it's like who makes this thing you know that's the problem well i mean as has been said since the start of the generation microsoft has a list of ips that they own and some of the dormant ips and they have said to their development partners if you have interest in an ip make a pitch we are willing mm. to listen so all it takes is one studio to say we want to want to crack at banjo here's our vision what do you think? I wonder if I wonder if it's a studio that we're just not thinking like people weren't thinking of originally as oh obviously they would do a 3D platformer like some and it, I, I think now it's because Activision Blizzard are under Microsoft that people are looking up and down their studios as mm -hmm. I wonder if Banjo's been planned like they've planned and they've been like okay who do we get to do this pre-production kind of stuff and now that Activision Blizzard is there they've kind of matched it up They're like okay or even before all the stuff finished, they were kind of looking up and they're like, oh, maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody gave him a pitch. I, toy, people look at Toys for Bob, right? That's the obvious one that everyone looks at. Mm -hmm. uh, but what about, I have two here that I thought could be interesting, okay? Uh, what about Radical Entertainment? They did Prototype and some of the Crash Bandicoot games. Well, I mean, it's not a terrible fit. What about, uh, this is the one I would like to see, okay? this is This is the big one for me. Would love to see this. Blizzard Albany. Blizzard Albany. Also you know known who they as were? Vicarious Visions. Yeah, Vicarious Visions. I would love to see them take a crack at Banjo-Kazooie. That would be interesting. They got you, I mean, like, they would relegated be, to support. Yeah, I mean, depending on the scope of the project, they would be a pretty good fit. It really just comes down to what exactly will we be getting from this banjo when it sees the light of day in the, who knows, maybe be the next generation Xbox at this point if they're really gun-ho on launching this thing as like, quick as they can. It might be a big project, though. It can be something small. That's the idea of Game Pass, right? It's to allow these smaller, like a Hi-Fi Rush. If it's something in that vein. Hi-Fi like, Rush. Okay, Hi-Fi cool. Rush took four years. I mean, I assume Banjo might take three or four years to make. Yeah, so, I mean, could be looking at 2026, 2027. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's something <laughs> they might talk about in 2025 as they show their new Xbox. <laughs> yeah, we found the missing piece. Yeah, There it is. Uh, that's why I'd like. I would love to see them let Blizzard Albany do their own thing rather than run support. 
at this point because uh, what a shame vicarious visions get relegated to that <laughs> man that's crazy I, you know i played their tony hawk game boy advance game again the other day when i was uh getting some footage for a video mm. i still can't believe they figured that out that is crazy man. pretty advanced and impressive at the time hey have you ever seen the resident evil 2 game boy advance tech demo? no they did that they didn't it was another studio but you could uh, push the game boy advance pretty far with some of those less intrusive 3d <laughs> I uh there's a lot of talent there. I'd love to see them take a shot. I think it'd be interesting just to see what the, what they come up with for banjo. I don't know. It'd be fun. And to close out, Nate, I thought we'd have some fun here with the holiday season and think back to some of the launch lineups of Microsoft. Why? Because that's typically what they went into the holidays for the first time. And I thought about the Xbox Series launch lineup, which wasn't great because they didn't they didn't really have anything. It was still stuff that just was on the Xbox One. Uh, in this case, though, if we go before that to the Xbox One launch, the 360, the original Xbox, these were all clean breaks from their previous generation, and they offered uh, different games for it. So mm -hmm. I thought we'd discuss which one. Uh, I mean, there's not a huge pool necessarily of systems <laughs> and launch lineups, but I thought we'd kind of go over a couple here that we, we each picked one. And just kind of just kind of go over some of the games that came out and what we thought of it. What do you got, Nate? Yeah, I went with the Xbox 360, but it was a tough decision for me to settle on this one. But I looked at the lineup. It from a nostalgia value, there's still a lot of quality there. And even at the time of launch, this was a pretty good, diverse lineup. I mean, you had Amped 3, which I know it's hard to believe at the time, though, but snowboarding was very popular. You had Call of Duty 2. You had mm. Condemned Criminal Origins, which is a fantastic game. Maybe was a little underappreciated when it launched back then. Then you had Cameo Elements of Power from Rare, which was definitely an underappreciated gem for the 360 launch. And if you have Rare Replay and you can, you can play it on your series... X right now, you have auto HDR, the game looks and runs splendid. You had the typical sports games, Madden, NBA 2K, NBA Live, NHL. You had Perfect Dark Zero, which the campaign is a disaster, but the multiplayer was a lot of fun. Peter Jackson's King Kong, the visuals of that game were wow at the time. It was such a clean break from the prior generation. Project Gotham 3, phenomenal. Quake 4 came with a Quake 2 remaster. I guess you would quantify it as. You had Ridge Racer 6, and you had Tony Hawk's American Wasteland. And if we're just talking, you know, launch day, not launch window, you also had Dead or Alive 4 come in pretty quick succession. And then in the following March, you had Oblivion come out. But the 360 launch was just phenomenal. And when you go into some of the, a little bit of the future, if you just go into 20 or 2006, when you had Fight Night Round 3, you had Dead Rising, you had Viva Pinata, you had Gears of War. What a system. You can see why the 360 is beloved by so many in the Xbox community or just the gaming community. It was a revolutionary system at its time. 
And that's not even talking about some of the digital games that had like geometry wars and such. It's just a fantastic system. I got it at launch and just was shocked by some of the visuals that were on display when I plugged that system in. I'm uh I'm gonna agree with you. The the Xbox 360 was a a pretty good launch lineup. I feel like the one I remember the most, which is funny, is probably Call of Duty 2. And it really just came mm-hmm. down to at that time that when someone threw a smoke grenade, how incredible it looked, <laughs> which is so funny now because I go back and look, yeah, and it looks terrible rough. now. But uh hey, back then but even yeah, the smoke, the snow. I remember was going it. through the snow for like the Battle of the Bulge. I was like, wow. And being in Russia and there's just so many little details that you could see on that game at the time. I was like, wow. And I'll, I'll be, I'll admit, I was one of the individuals back in 2005 that didn't appreciate Cameo. Ooh. But I played it in the last few years. I was like, you know what? This game really did capture that essence of what Rare used to be. But it was just Rare was on the Xbox. You wanted them to do cool darker mature thing like we saw with them kind of on the n64 with goldeneye and perfect dark and perfect dark zero's campaign was just such a disappointment visually amazing but the campaign wasn't great but the multiplayer was a lot of fun so many diverse modes it offered and then i mean they follow up with viva pinata in 2006 which yes very cartoony odd game but really fun. You know, I was, uh, I'm looking at these launch lineups and at first I was really tempted to go with the original Xbox because of uh, two games in particular, which was obviously Halo, but then also Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2X, uh, which I, I think yeah. was a pretty, pretty good port of uh, Tony Hawk, one of my favorite games ever, Tony Hawk Pro Skater uh, 2. But I got to admit, the Xbox One had a pretty good launch lineup. And I, I feel like a lot of us look back on the Xbox one with that presentation where they said TV like 43 times or something like that and sort of forget what they launched with. Cause there was, there was actually quite a bit of variety to choose from for this game, for this game console with the Xbox one. And remember it clean break from the 360. Uh, they had some cross gen games clearly with third parties, like, like Assassin's Creed for black flag awesome assassin's creed game but it you know visually was better on the xbox one versus the the previous generation but then like dead rising 3 was uh was really impressive at that time and it was one that microsoft had locked up with capcom and i think showed off more about because back then it was the resolution wars it was 1080p versus 900p but I mean, Dead Rising 3 just showcased a bunch of zombies and stuff on screen, and it was it was pretty impressive, like the kind of the mechanics around the physics around breaking them into pieces and, and that sort of thing. But then you go like Killer Instinct. So there's a good fighting game there from uh, that Microsoft had under their belt. Forza Motorsport 5 was 1080p at 60 frames per second. You know, of course, had all the different sports games, NFL 25, NBA 2K, NBA Live was still around. Rise Son of Rome showed off the visuals that the Xbox One could do. Need for Speed Rivals, mm-hmm. Battlefield 4. There was a Call of Duty game available with oh, Ghosts. Yeah. It just, it, it, the list goes on and on. It's pretty good. Like, I'm a little surprised looking at that versus what I remembered with that presentation. Um, that said, the original Xbox did have, uh, what was it? NFL, it was NFL, uh, 
What's the NFL game they had? Oh yeah, um, it had Peyton Manning on the front. Oh, I might look this yeah, up. Yeah, I can see the check. cover. It was a good football game too. I didn't, I didn't have it, it written down here. NFL Fever, two thousand and two. Yep. Uh, that was a, a an NFL game that was made by Microsoft Game Studios, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is pretty funny to think about. And uh, eventually, it evolved into them uh, showing off Xbox Live with the following year and how that worked. But that was that was an interesting time period because it wasn't just Madden every year. You had even platform holders developing football games. But I got to give it up to the Xbox One. That was uh, that was a that was a pretty good launch for them in general in terms of games. Maybe not necessarily the message, but yeah. games. I think they figured it out. Xbox One definitely suffered from execution because when you do look back at the quality of that launch lineup, it's a lot better than you remember. And I would argue that it is superior to the PlayStation 4 launch lineup. And maybe that'll get some flack, but I stand by it. And even Killer Instinct. That should have been that huge, whoa, launch game. But that Mm -hmm. took a little while to really gain respect and recognition for the fantastic fighting game that it is. And it just celebrated its 10th anniversary. It got a patch and some updates in the balancing for the multiplayer and such. But it's promising that they have revisited because that ideally means we're going to get a new Killer Instinct, hopefully this generation. And it shows their commitment to it because Killer Instinct on the Xbox One was fantastic it maybe it came before its time that fighting renaissance hadn't really begun yet it came several years later but killer instinct even now fantastic game rise definitely suffered due to its original connect vision so i think a lot of people weren't really ready to give rise a try because they thought it was just going to be a quick time event type experience but rise is a very fun game holds up even now still visually quite impressive has that cry engine cry tech magic to it but yeah the xbox one crimson dragon nice panzer dragoon successor there loco cycle we don't talk about loco cycle <laughs> i have not played that game in so <laughs> long you actually brought it up earlier and i was like oh my gosh that's right like, loco cycle was wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, even Dead that Rising 3, hilarious. Dead Rising 3 was just such a departure from what the franchise had been that I think it brought a lot of people some hesitation as to whether or not they want to invest in it. But as time went on, there's been a little bit of love for Dead Rising 3 and there's still love for that IP in that franchise where people are saying, Capcom, please bring it back. But yeah, the Xbox One launch, definitely far better than people would tell you if you went back 10 years and asked them about that launch lineup where people are like, yeah, it's not that impressive. There's really nothing here that is saying I need to get an Xbox one. Maybe now you'd sing a slightly different tune because you realize the quality of some of those games, but even I guess you could assign that to really any system. Cause if you look back at something like the GameCube at the time was smash brothers, melee, the phenom that it became. No, it was, Pikmin going to become this multi-million selling IP if you said that to people back in 2001? I don't know, but Loco Psycho is only $10 now. Didn't that developer get shut down? I I probably like in this game. I mean, the game is only three hours long, apparently. 
Yeah, there it is. It's uh, it's ten dollars. Hmm. Play Crimson Dragon before you play Loco Cycle. What was that one? Three hours. <laughs> it's not that both long. Both of them in a night, <laughs> a day. There you go. We'll get right through them. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's uh, hey, it's fun looking back at the old launch lineups to see how how things uh, progressed over the generations and uh, we'll, we'll see. Well, Hey, we'll see in 2026 what Microsoft has up their sleeve apparently, but that is, uh, that's our direct Xbox episode 11. Thanks everyone for tuning in. And the next time we have a direct Xbox, we should be live. And I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. So we will see everyone in the new year, 2024 looking forward to, I think we're gonna have a, a lot of fun, a lot of things on deck for Xbox. Anything you want to say, Nate, to close out the year? Look forward to 2024, where we will be live, and hopefully everyone has had a delightful and pleasant holiday and a safe New Year's. So thank you for supporting us in these opening months on the Patreon, and thank you for your continued support moving into 2024, and here's to Microsoft having a fantastic coming year. Yeah, big thanks to the Patreon members over there, spawncastnetwork.com, patreon.com slash spawncast, and we will see you guys in 2024.